Chapter fourteen of Glengarry's School Days. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Glengarry School Days by Ralph Connor. Chapter fourteen. The Final Round. After the new year, the school filled up with big boys, some of whom had returned with the idea of joining the preparatory class for college, which the minister had persuaded John Craven to organize. Shinny, however, became the absorbing interest for all the boys, both big and little. This interest was intensified by the rumors that came up from the front, for it was noised through the twentieth section that Dan Munro, whose father was a cousin of Archie Munro, the former teacher, had come from Marintown and taken charge of the front school, and that, being used to the ice game, and being full of tricks and swift as a bird, he was an exceedingly dangerous man. More than that, he was training his team with his own tricks, and had got back to school some of the old players, among whom were no less renowned personages than Heck Ross and Jimmy Ben. Jimmy Ben, to wit, James, son of Benjamin McEwen, was more famed for his prowess as a fighter than for his knowledge of the game of shinny, but every one who saw him play said he was a terror. Further, it was rumored that there was a chance of them getting for goal Farquhar McRae, Little Farquhar, or Farquhar Vake, B-H-E-G, pronounced Vake, as he was euphoniously called, who presumably had once been little, but could no longer claim to be so, seeing that he was six feet and weighed two hundred pounds. It behooved the twentieth team, therefore, to bestir themselves with all diligence, and in this matter Hughie gave no rest either to himself or to anyone else likely to be of use in perfecting his team. For Hughie had been unanimously chosen captain, in spite of his protests that the master or one of the big boys should hold that place. But none of the big boys knew the new game as perfectly as Hughie, and the master had absolutely refused, saying, You beat them once, Hughie, and you can do it again. And as the days and weeks went on, Hughie fully justified the team's choice of him as captain. He developed a genius for organization, a sureness of judgment, and a tact in management as well as a skill and speed in play that won the confidence of every member of his team he set himself resolutely to banish any remaining relics of the ancient style of play in the old game every one rushed to hit the ball without regard to direction or distance and the consequence was that from end to end of the field a mob of yelling stick-waving players more or less aimlessly followed in the wake of the ball but Hughie and the master changed all that, forced the men to play in their positions, training them never to drive wildly forward, but to pass to a man, and to keep their clubs down and their mouths shut. The striking characteristic of Hughie's own playing was a certain fierceness, amounting almost to fury, so that when he was in the attack he played for every ounce there was in him. His chief weakness lay in his tempestuous temper, which he found difficult to command, but as he worked his men from day to day and week to week, the responsibility of his position and the magnitude of the issues at stake helped him to a self-control quite remarkable in him. 
As the fateful day drew near, the whole section was stirred with an intense interest and excitement, in which even the grave and solemn elders shared, and, to a greater degree, the minister and his wife. At length the day, as all days great and small, actually arrived. A big crowd awaited the appearance of the folks from the front. They were expected about two, but it was not till half-past that there was heard in the distance the sound of the bagpipes. "'Here they are! That's Alan the Cooper's pipes!' was the cry, and before long, sure enough, there appeared Alphonse Le Roc, driving his French-Canadian team, the joy and pride of his heart, for Alphonse was a born horse-trainer, and had taught his French-Canadians many extraordinary tricks. On the dead gallop he approached the crowd till within a few yards, when, at a sudden command, they threw themselves upon their haunches and came almost to a standstill. With a crack of his long whip, Alphonse gave the command, Display yourself! At once his stout little team began to toss their beautiful heads, and broke into a series of prancing curves that would not have shamed a pair of greyhounds. Then, as they drew up to the stopping point, he gathered up his lines, and with another crack of his whip, cried, Salute the ladies! When, with true equine courtesy, they rose upon their hind legs, and gracefully pawed the empty air. Finally, after depositing his load amid the admiring exclamations of the crowd, he touched their tails with the point of his whip, gave a sudden whish, and like hounds from the leash, his horses sprang off at full gallop. One after another the teams from the front swung round and emptied their loads. "'Man, what a crowd!' said Hughie to Don. "'There must be a hundred at least.' "'Yes, and there's Heck Ross and Jimmy Ben,' said Don. "'And sure enough, Farquhar Vake. "'We'll be catching it today, whatever,' continued Don cheerfully. "'Pshaw, we licked as big men before. "'It isn't size,' said Hughie, with far more confidence than he felt. "'It was half an hour before the players were ready to begin. "'The rules of the game were few and simple. "'The play was to be one hour each way, "'with a quarter of an hour rest between.' There was to be no tripping, no hitting on the shins when the ball was out of the scrimmage, and all disputes were to be settled by the umpire, who on this occasion was the master of the sixteenth school. "'He's no good,' grumbled Hughie to his mother, who was even more excited than her boy himself. "'He can't play himself, and he's too easy scared.' "'Never mind,' said his mother brightly. "'Perhaps he won't have much to do.' much to do well there's jimmy ben and he's an awful fighter but i'm not going to let him frighten me said hughie savagely and there's dan monroe too they say he's a terror and heck ross of course we've got just as good men but they won't fight why johnny big duncan and don there are as good as any of them but they won't fight the mother smiled a little what a pity but why should they fight fighting is not shinny no, that's what the master says, and he's right enough, too, but it's awful hard when a fellow doesn't play fair, when he trips you up or clubs you on the shins when you're not near the ball. You feel like hitting him back. Yes, but that's the very time to show self-control. I know, and that's what the master says. Of course it is, went on his mother. That's what the game is for, to teach the boys to command their tempers. You remember, he that ruleth his spirit is better than he that taketh a city. Oh, it's all right, said Hughie, and easy enough to talk about. What's easy enough to talk about? asked the master, coming up. Taking a city, 
said Mrs. Murray, smiling at him. The master looked puzzled. Mother means, said Hughie, keeping one's temper in shinny, but I'm telling her it's pretty hard when a fellow clubs you on the shins when you're away from the ball. Yes, of course it's hard, said the master, but it's better than being a cad, which brought a quick flush to Hughie's face, but helped him more than anything else to keep himself in hand that day. Can't understand a man, said the master, who goes into a game and then quits it to fight. If it's fighting, why fight? But if it's shinny, play the game. Big team against us, eh, Captain? He continued, looking at the front men, who were taking a preliminary spin upon the ice. And pretty swift, too. If they play fair, I don't mind, said Hughie. I'm not afraid of them. But if they get slugging... Well, if they get slugging, said the master, we'll play the game and win, sure. Well, it's time to begin, said Hughie, and with a good-bye to his mother, he turned away. Remember, take a city, she called out after him. All right, Muzzy, I'll remember. In a few moments the teams were in position opposite each other. The team from the front made a formidable show in weight and muscle. At the right of the forward line stood the redoubtable Dan Munro, the stocky, tricky, fierce captain of the front team, and with him three rather small boys in red shirts. The defense consisted of Heck Ross, the much-famed and much-feared Jimmy Ben, while in goal, sure enough, stood the immense and solid bulk of Farquhar Vake. The center was held by four boys of fair size and weight. In the twentieth team the forward line was composed of Jack Ross, Curly Ross's brother, Fusie, Davy Scotch, and Don Cameron. The center was played by Hughie, with three little chaps who made up for their lack of weight by their speed and skill. The defense consisted of Johnny Big Duncan, to wit, John, the son of Big Duncan Campbell, on the left hand, and the master on the right, backed up by Thomas Finch in goal who, much against his will, was in the game that day. His heart was heavy within him, for he saw not the gleaming ice and the crowding players, but the room at home, and his mother, with her pale, patient face, sitting in her chair. His father, he knew, would be beside her, and Jessac would be flitting about. But for all that she'll have a long day, he said to himself, for only his loyalty to the school and to Hughie had brought him to the game that day. When play was called, Hughie, with Fusie immediately behind him, stood facing Dan in the center with one of the little red shirts at his back. It was Dan's drop. He made a pass or two, then shot between his legs to a red shirt, who, upon receiving, passed far out to red shirt number three, who flew along the outer edge and returned swiftly to Dan, now far up the other side. Like the wind, Dan sped down the line, dodged Johnny Big Duncan easily, and shot from the corner, straight, swift, and true. A goal. One for the front! Eleven shinny-sticks went up in the air. The bagpipes struck up a wild refrain. Big Heck Ross and Jimmy Ben danced a huge, unwieldy, but altogether jubilant dance round each other, and then settled down to their places, for it was Hughie's drop. Hughie took the ball from the umpire and faced Dan with some degree of nervousness, for Dan was heavy and strong and full of confidence. After a little maneuvering, he dropped the ball between Dan's legs. But Dan, instead of attending to the ball, charged full upon him and laid him flat, while one of the red shirts, seizing the ball, flew off with it, supported by a friendly red shirt on either side of him, 
with Dan following hard. Right through the crowd dodged the red shirts till they came up to the twentieth line of defense, when forth came Johnny Big Duncan in swift attack. But the little red shirt who had the ball, touching it slightly to the right, tangled himself up in Johnny Big Duncan's legs and sent him sprawling, while Dan swiped the ball to another red shirt who had slipped in behind the master, for there was no such foolishness as offside in that game. Like lightning, the red shirt caught the ball and, rushing at Thomas, shot furiously at close quarters. Goal number two for the front. Again on all sides rose frantic cheers. The front! The front! Moreau forever! Two games had been won, and not a twentieth man had touched the ball. With furtive, uncertain glances, the men of the twentieth team looked one at the other, and all at their captain, as if seeking explanation of this extraordinary situation. "'Well,' said Hughie, in a loud voice, to the master and with a careless laugh, though at his heart he was desperate, "'they are giving us a little taste of our own medicine.' The master dropped to buckle his skate, deliberately unwinding the strap, while the umpire allowed time. "'Give me a hand with this, Hughie,' he called, and Hughie skated up to him. "'Well,' said Craven, smiling up into Hughie's face, "'that's a good swift opening, isn't it?' "'Oh, it's terrible,' groaned Hughie. "'They're going to lick us off the ice.' "'Well,' replied the master slowly, "'I wouldn't be in a hurry to say so. "'We have a hundred minutes and more to win in yet. "'Now, don't you see that their captain is their great card?' suppose you let the ball go for a game or two and stick to dan trail him never let him shake you the rest of us will take care of the game all right said hughie i'll stick to him and off he set for the center as the loser hughie again held the drop he faced dan with determination to get that ball out to fusie and somehow he felt in his bones that he should succeed in doing this Without any preliminary, he dropped and knocked the ball toward Fusey. But this was evidently what Dan expected, for as soon as Hughie made the motion to drop, he charged hard upon the waiting Fusey. Hughie, however, had his plan as well, for immediately upon the ball leaving his stick, he threw himself in Dan's way, checking him effectually, and allowing Fusey, with Don and Scotchy following, to get away. The front defense, however, was too strong, and the ball came shooting back toward the line of reds, one of whom, making a short run, passed far out to Dan on the right. But before the latter could get up speed, Hughie was upon him, and, ignoring the ball, blocked and bothered and checked him till one of the twentieth centers, rushing in, secured it for his side. "'Ha! Well done, Captain!' came Craven's voice across the ice, and Hughie felt his nerve come back. If he could hold Dan, that deadly front combination might be broken. Meantime, Don had secured the ball from Craven and was rushing up his right wing. Here you are, Hughie, he cried, shooting across the front goal. Hughie sprang to receive, but before he could shoot, Dan was upon him, checking so hard that Hughie was sent sprawling to the ice while Dan shot away with the ball. But before he had gone very far, Hughie was after him, like a whirlwind, making straight for his own goal, so that by the time Dan had arrived at shooting distance, Hughie was again upon him, and while in the very act of steadying himself for his try at the goal, came crashing into him with such fierceness of attack that Dan was flung aside, while Johnny Big Duncan, capturing the ball, sent it across to the master. 
it was the master's first chance for the day with amazing swiftness and dexterity he threaded the outer edge of the ice and with a sudden swerve across avoided the throng that had gathered to oppose him and then with a careless ease as if it were a matter of little importance he dodged in between the heavy front defence shot his goal and skated back coolly to his place the twentieth's moment had come and both upon the ice and upon the banks the volume and fierceness of the cheering testified to the intensity of the feeling that had been so long pent up that game had revealed to hughie two important facts the first that he was faster than dan in a straight race and the second that it would be advisable to feed the master for it was clearly apparent that there was not his equal upon the ice in dodging that was well done captain said craven to hughie as he was coolly skating back to his position a splendid run sir cried hughie in return oh the run was easy it was your check there that did the trick that's the game he continued lowering his voice it's hard on you though can you stand it well i can try for a while said hughie confidently if you can said the master we've got them and hughie settled down into the resolve that cost what it might he would stick like a leech to dan he imparted his plan to fusey adding now whenever you see me tackle dan run in and get the ball i'm not going to bother about it half an hour had gone the score stood two to one in favor of the front but the result every one felt to be still uncertain that last attack of hughie's and the master's speedy performance gave some concern to the men of the front and awakened a feeling of confidence in the twentieth team but dan wise general that he was saw the danger and gave his commands ere he faced off for the new game when that man craven gets it he said to the men of the centre make straight for the goal never mind the ball the wisdom of this order became at once evident for when in the face-off he secured the ball hughie clung so tenaciously to his heels and checked him so effectually that he was forced to resign it to the reds who piercing the twentieth centre managed to scurry up the ice with the ball between them but when met by craven and johnny big duncan they passed across to dan hughie again checked so fiercely that johnny big duncan secured the ball passed back to the master who with another meteoric flash along the edge of the field broke through the front's defence and again shot it was only farquhar vake's steady coolness that saved the goal it was a near enough thing however to strike a sudden chill to the heart of the front goalkeeper and to make dan realize that something must be done to check these dangerous rushes of craven get in behind the defense there and stay there he said to two of his centers and his tone indicated that his serene confidence in himself and his team was slightly shaken hughie's close checking was beginning to chafe him for his team in their practice had learned to depend unduly upon him noticing dan's change in the disposition of his men hughie moved up two of his centers nearer to the front defence get into their way he said and give the master a clear field but this policy only assisted dan's plan of defence for the presence of so many players before the front goal filled up the ice to such an extent that craven's rushes were impeded by mere numbers for some time dan watched the result of his tactics well satisfied remaining himself for the time in the background during one of the pauses when the ball was out of play he called one of the little reds to him 
Look here, he said, you watch this. Right after one of those rushes of Craven's, don't follow him down, but keep up to your position. I'll get the ball to you somehow, and then you'll have a chance to shoot. No use passing to me, for this little son of a gun is on my back like a flea on a dog. Dan was seriously annoyed. The little red passed the word around and patiently waited his chance. Once and again the plan failed, chiefly because Dan could not get the ball out of the scrimmage, but at length, when Hughie had been tempted to rush in with the hope of putting in a shot, the ball slid out of the scrimmage, and Dan, swooping down upon it, passed swiftly to the waiting red, who immediately shot far out to his alert wing, and then rushing down the center and slipping past Johnny Big Duncan, who had gone forth to meet Dan coming down the right, and the master who was attending to the little red on the wing, received the ball, and putting in a short, swift shot, scored another goal for the front, amid a tempest of hurrahings from the team and their supporters. The game now stood three to one in favor of the front, and up to the end of the first hour no change was made in this score. And now there was a scene of the wildest enthusiasm and confusion. The front people flocked upon the ice and carried off their team to their quarter of the shanty, loading them with congratulations and refreshing them with various drinks. "'Better get your men together, Captain,' suggested Craven, and Hughie gathered them into the twentieth corner of the shanty." in spite of the adverse score hughie found his team full of fight they crowded about him and the master eager to listen to any explanation of the present defeat that might be offered for their comfort or to any plans by which the defeat might be turned into victory some minutes they spent in excitedly discussing the various games and in good-naturedly chaffing thomas finch for his failure to prevent a score but thomas had nothing to say in reply he had done his best and he had a feeling that they all knew it no man was held in higher esteem by the team than the goalkeeper any plan captain asked the master after they had talked for some minutes and all grew quiet what do you think sir said hughie oh let us hear from you you're the captain well said hughie slowly and with deliberate emphasis I think we are going to win, yells from all sides. At any rate, we ought to win, for I think we have the better team. More yells. What I mean is this, I think we are better in combination play, and I don't think they have a man who can touch the master. Enthusiastic exclamations, that's right, better believe it, hurrah. But we have a big fight before us, and that Dan Monroe's a terror. The only change I can think of is to open out more and fall back from their goal for a little while. And then, if I can hold Dan, cries of, you'll hold him all right, you are the lad. Everybody should feed the master. They can't stop him, any of them. But I would say for the first while anyway, play defense. What do you think, sir? Appealing to the master. I call that good tactics. But don't depend too much upon me. If any man has a chance for a run and a shot, let him take it. And don't give up your combination in your forward line. The captain is quite right in seeking to draw them away from their goal. Their defense territory is too full now. Now, what I have noticed is this. They mainly rely upon Dan Monroe and upon their three big defense men. For the first fifteen minutes they will make their hardest push. Let us take the captain's advice, fall back a little, and so empty their defense. But on the whole, keep your positions, play to your men, and, 
he added with a smile, don't get too mad. I guess they will be making some plans, too, said Thomas Finch slowly, and everybody laughed. That's right, Thomas, but we'll give them a chance for the first while to show us what they mean to do. At this point the minister came in looking rather gloomy. Well, Mr. Craven, rather doubtful outlook, is it not? Oh, not too bad, sir, said the master cheerfully. Three to one? What worse do you want? Well, six to one would be worse, replied the master. Besides, their first two games were taken by a kind of fluke. We didn't know their play. You will notice they have taken only one in the last three-quarters of an hour. I doubt they're too big for you, continued the minister. Isn't altogether size that wins in shinny, said Mr. Craven. Hughie there isn't a very big man, but he can hold any one of them. Well, I hope you may be right, said the minister. I'm sorry I have to leave the game to see a sick man up Kenyon way. Sorry you can't stay, sir, to see us win, said Craven cheerfully, while Hughie slipped out to see his mother before she went. Well, my boy, said his mother, you are playing a splendid game, and you are getting better as you go on. Thanks, mother, that's the kind of talk we like, said Hughie, who had been a little depressed by his father's rather gloomy views. I'm awfully sorry you can't stay. And so am I, but we must go. But we shall be back in time for supper, and you will ask all the team to come down to celebrate their victory. Good for you, mother. I'll tell them, and I bet they'll play. Meantime the team from the front had been having something of a jollification in their quarters. They were sure of victory, and in spite of their captain's remonstrances, had already begun to pass round the bottle in the way of celebration. They're having something strong in there, said little Mac McGregor. Wish they'd pass some this way. Let them have it, said Johnny Big Duncan, whose whole family ever since the revival had taken a total abstinence pledge, although this was looked upon as a very extreme position indeed by almost all the community. But Big Duncan Campbell had learned by very bitter experience that, for him at least, there was no safety in a moderate use of God's good creature, as many of his fellow church members designated the Mountain Dew, and his sons had loyally backed him up in this attitude. Quite right, said the master emphatically, and if they had any sense they would know that with every drink they are throwing away a big chance of winning. Hurro, you fellows, shouted Big Heck Ross across to them. Aren't you going to play any more? Have you got enough of it already? We will not be caring for any more of yon kind, said Johnny Big Duncan good-naturedly, and we were thinking of giving you a change. Come away and be at it then, said Heck, for we're all getting cold. That's easily cured, said Dan, as they sallied forth to the ice again, for I warrant you will not be suffering from the cold in five minutes. When the teams took up their positions it was discovered that Dan had fallen back to the center, and Hughie was at a loss to know how to meet this new disposition of the enemy's force. Let them go on, said the master with whom Hughie was holding a hurried consultation. You stick to him, and we'll play defense till they develop their plan. The tactics of the front became immediately apparent upon the drop of the ball, and proved to be what the master had foretold. No sooner had the game begun than the big defensemen advanced with the centers to the attack, and when Hughie followed up his plan of sticking closely to Dan Munro and hampering him, 
he found jimmy ben upon him swiping furiously with his club at his shins with evident intention of intimidating him as well as of relieving dan from his attentions but if jimmy ben thought by his noisy shouting and furious swiping to strike terror to the heart of the twentieth captain he entirely misjudged his man for without seeking to give him back what he received in kind hughie played his game with such skill and pluck that although he was considerably battered about the shins he was nevertheless able to prevent dan from making any of his dangerous rushes craven meantime if he noticed hughie's hard case was so fully occupied with the defense of the goal that he could give no thought to anything else shot after shot came in upon thomas at close range and so savage and reckless was the charge of the front that their big defense men heck ross and jimmy ben abandoning their own positions were foremost in the melee before the twentieth goal for fully fifteen minutes the ball was kept in the twentieth territory and only the steady coolness of craven and johnny big duncan backed by hughie's persistent checking of the front captain and the magnificent steadiness of thomas in goal saved the game at length as the fury of the charge began to expend itself a little craven got his chance the ball had been passed out to dan upon the left wing of the front forward line at once hughie was upon him but jimmy ben following hard with a cruel swipe at hughie's skates laid him flat but not until he had succeeded in hindering to some degree dan's escape with the ball before the front captain could make use of his advantage and get clear away the master bore down upon him like a whirlwind hurled him clear off his feet secured the ball dashed up the open field and eluding the two centers who had been instructed to cover the goal easily shot between the balsam trees for a few moments the twentieth men went mad for they all felt that a crisis had been passed the failure of the front in what had evidently been a preconcerted and very general attack was accepted as an omen of victory the front men on the other hand were bitterly chagrined they had come so near it and yet had failed jimmy ben was especially savage he came down the ice toward the center yelling defiance and threats of vengeance come on here don't waste time let us at them we'll knock them clear off the ice it was dan's drop as he was preparing to face off the master skated up and asked the umpire for time at once the crowd gathered round what's the matter what's up what do you want came on all sides from the front team now thoroughly aroused and thirsting for vengeance mr umpire said the master i want to call your attention to a bit of foul play that must not be allowed to go on and then he described jimmy ben's furious attack upon hughie it was a deliberate trip as well as a savage swipe at a man's shins when the ball was not near at once jimmy ben gave him the lie and throwing down his club slammed his cap upon the ice and proceeded to execute a war dance about it for a few moments there was a great uproar and then the master's voice was heard again addressing the umpire i want to know your ruling upon this mr umpire and somehow his voice commanded a perfect stillness well said the umpire hesitating of course if a man trips it is foul play but i did not see any tripping and of course swiping at a man's shins is not allowed although sometimes it can't very well be helped in a scrimmage i merely want to call your attention to it said the master my understanding of our arrangements mr monroe he said addressing the front captain is that we are here to play shinny 
You have come up here, I believe, to win the game by playing shinny, and we are here to prevent you. If you have any other purpose, or if any of your men have any other purpose, we would be glad to know it now, for we entered this game with the intention of playing straight, clean shinny. That's right, called out Heck Ross. That's what we're here for. And his answer was echoed on every side except by Jimmy Ben, who continued to bluster and offer fight. Oh, shut your gab, finally said Farquhar Vake impatiently. If you want to fight, wait till after the game is done. Here's your cap, Jimmy, piped a thin little voice. You'll take cold in your head. It was little French Fusey holding up Jimmy's cap on the end of his shinny club and smiling with the utmost good nature, but with infinite impudence into Jimmy's face. At once there was a general laugh at Jimmy Ben's expense, who, with a growl, seized his cap, and putting it on his head, skated off to his place. Now, said Hughie, calling his men together for a moment, let us crowd them hard, and let's give the master every chance we can. No, said the master, they are waiting for me. Suppose you leave Dan to me for a while. You go up and play your forward combination. They're not paying so much attention to you. Make the attack from your wing. At the drop, Dan secured the ball, and, followed by Fusey, flew up the center with one of the reds on either hand. Immediately the master crossed to meet him, checked him hard, and gave Fusey a chance, who, seizing the ball, passed far up to Hughie on the right. Immediately the twentieth forward line rushed, and by a beautiful hit of combined play, brought the ball directly before the front goal, when Don, holding it for a moment till Hughie charged in upon Farquhar Fake, shot and scored. The result of their combination at once inspired the twentieth team with fresh confidence, and proved most disconcerting to their opponents. "'That's the game, boys,' said the master delightedly. "'Keep your heads and play your positions.' And so well did the forward line respond that for the next ten minutes the game was reduced to a series of attacks upon the front goal, and had it not been for the dashing play of their captain and the heavy checking of the front defense, the result would have been most disastrous to them. Meantime the twentieth supporters, lined along either edge, became more and more vociferous as they began to see that their men were getting the game well into their own hands that steady cool systematic play of man to man was something quite new to those accustomed to the old style of game and aroused the greatest enthusiasm gradually the front were forced to fall back into their territory and to play upon the defensive while the master and johnny big duncan moving up toward the centre kept their forward line so strongly supported and checked so effectually any attempts to break through that thick and fast the shots fell upon the enemy's goal. There remained only fifteen minutes to play. The hard pace was beginning to tell upon the big men, and the inevitable reaction following their unwise celebrating began to show itself in their stale and spiritless play. On the other hand, the twentieth were as fresh as ever, and pressed the game with greater spirit every moment. "'Play out toward the side,' urged Dan, despairing of victory, but determined to avert defeat, and at every opportunity the ball was knocked out of play. But like wolves the twentieth forwards were upon the ball, striving to keep it in play, and steadily forcing it toward the enemy's goal. Dan became desperate. He was wet with perspiration, and his breath was coming in hard gasps. He looked at his team. The little reds were fit enough, but the others were jaded and pumped out. 
Behind him stood Jimmy Ben, savage, wet, and weary. At one of the pauses, when the ball was out of play, Dan dropped on his knee. Hold on there a minute, he cried. I want to fix this skate of mine. Very deliberately he removed his strap, readjusted his skate, and began slowly to set the strap in place again. They want a rest, I guess. Better take off the time, umpire, sang out Fusey, dancing as lively as a cricket round Jimmy Ben, who looked as if he would like to devour him bodily. Shut up, Fusey, said Hughie. We've got all the time we need. You have, eh? said Jimmy Ben, savagely. Yes, said Hughie, in sudden anger, for he had not forgotten Jimmy Ben's cruel swipe. We don't need any more time than we've got, and we don't need to play any dirty tricks either. We're going to beat you. We've got you beaten now. Blank your impudent face. Wait you. I'll show you, said Jimmy Ben. You can't scare me, Jimmy Ben, said Hughie, white with rage. You tried your best, and you couldn't do it. Play the game, Hughie, said the master in a low tone, skating round him, while Heck Ross said good-naturedly, Shut up, Jimmy Ben. You'll need all your wind for your heels, at which all but Jimmy Ben laughed. For a moment Dan drew his men together. Our only chance, he said, is in a rush. Now I want every man to make for that goal. Never mind the ball. I'll get the ball there. And then you, Jimmy Ben, and a couple of you centers make right back here on guard. They're going to rush, said Hughie to his team. Don't all go back. Centers, fall back with me. You forwards, keep up. At the drop, Dan secured the ball, and in a moment the front rush came. With a simultaneous yell, the whole ten men came roaring down the ice, waving their clubs and flinging aside their lightweight opponents. It was a dangerous moment, but with a cry of, All steady, boys, Hughie threw himself right into Dan's way. But just for such a chance, Jimmy Ben was watching, and rushing upon Hughie, caught him fairly with his shoulder, and hurled him to the ice, while the attacking line swept over him. For a single moment Hughie lay dazed, but before anyone could offer help, he rose slowly, and after a few deep breaths, set off for the scrimmage. There was a wild five minutes. Eighteen or twenty men were massed in front of the twentieth goal, striking, shoving, yelling, the solid weight of the front defense forcing the ball ever nearer the goal. In the center of the mass were Craven, Johnny Big Duncan, and Don fighting every inch. For a few moments Hughie hovered behind his goal, his heart full of black rage, waiting his chance. At length he saw an opening. Jimmy Ben, slashing heavily, regardless of injury to himself or any others, had edged the ball toward the twentieth left. Taking a short run, Hughie, reckless of consequences, launched himself head first into Jimmy Ben's stomach, swiping viciously at the same time at the ball. For a moment Jimmy Ben was flung back, and but for Johnny Big Duncan would have fallen, but before he could regain his feet the ball was set free of the scrimmage and away. Fusey, rushing in, had snapped it up and had gone scuttling down the ice, followed by Hughie and the master. Before Fusey had got much past center, Dan, who had been playing in the rear of the scrimmage, overtook him, and with a fierce body-check upset the little Frenchman and secured the ball. Wheeling, he saw both Hughie and Craven bearing down swiftly upon him. "'Rush for the goal!' he shouted to Jimmy Ben, who was following Hughie hard. Jimmy Ben hesitated. "'Back to your defense!' yelled Dan, cutting across and trying to escape between Hughie and Craven. It was in vain. 
Both of the twentieth men fell upon him, and the master, snatching the ball, sped like lightning down the ice. The crowd went wild. "'Get back! Get back there!' screamed Hughie to the mob, crowding in upon the ice. "'Give us room! Give us a show!' At this moment Craven, cornered by Heck Ross and two of the red shirts, with Dan hard upon his heels, passed clear across the ice to Hughie. With a swift turn Hughie caught the ball, dodged Jimmy Ben's fierce spring at him, and shot. But even as he shot, Jimmy Ben, recovering his balance, reached him and struck a hard swinging blow upon his ankle. There was a sharp crack, and Hughie fell to the ice. The ball went wide. "'Time there, umpire,' cried the master, falling on his knees beside Hughie. "'Are you hurt, Hughie?' he asked eagerly. "'What is it, my boy?' "'Oh, master, it's broken, but don't stop. Don't let them stop. We must win this game. We've only a few minutes. Take me back to goal and send Thomas out.' The eager hurried whisper, the intense appeal in the white face and dark eyes, made the master hesitate in his emphatic refusal. "'You can't—' "'Oh, don't stop! Don't stop it for me!' cried Hughie, gripping the master's arm. "'Help me up and take me back!' The master swore a fierce oath. "'We'll do it, my boy. You're a trump.' "'Here, Don,' he called aloud. "'We'll let Hughie keep goal for a little,' and they ran Hughie back to the goal on one skate. "'You go out, Thomas,' gasped Hughie. "'Don't talk. We've only five minutes.' "'They have broken his leg,' said the master, with a sob in his voice. "'Nothing wrong, I hope,' said Dan, skating up. "'No, play the game,' said the master fiercely. His black eyes were burning with a deep red glow. "'Is it hurting much?' asked Thomas, lingering about Hughie. "'Oh, you just bet. But don't wait. Go on. Go on down. You've got to get this game.' Thomas glanced at the foot hanging limp, and then at the white but resolute face, then saying with slow, savage emphasis, "'The brute beast, as sure as death I'll do for him!' He skated off to join the forward line. It was the front knock-off from goal. There was no plan of attack, but the twentieth team, looking upon the faces of the master and Thomas, needed no words of command. The final round was shot, short, sharp, fierce. A long drive from Farquhar Vake sent the ball far up into the twentieth territory. It was a bad play, for it gave Craven and Thomas their chance. "'Follow me close, Thomas,' cried the master, meeting the ball and setting off like a whirlwind. Past the little reds, through the centers, and into the defense line he flashed, followed hard by Thomas. In vain Heck Ross tried to check. Craven was past him like the wind. There remained only Dan and Jimmy Ben. A few swift strides, and the master was almost within reach of Dan's club. With a touch of the ball to Thomas, he charged into his waiting foe, flung him aside as he might a child, and swept on. "'Take the man, Thomas!' he cried, and Thomas, gathering himself up in two short, quick strikes, dashed hard upon Jimmy Ben and hurled him crashing to the ice. "'Take that, you brute you,' he said, and followed after Craven. Only Farquhar Vake was left. "'Take no chances,' cried Craven again. "'Come on!' And both of them, sweeping in upon the goalkeeper, lifted him clear through the goal and carried the ball with them. "'Time!' called the umpire. The great game was won. Then, before the crowd had realized what had happened, and before they could pour in upon the ice— Craven skated back toward Jimmy Ben. "'The game is over,' he said in a low, fierce tone. "'You cowardly blackguard, you weren't afraid to hit a boy. Now stand up to a man, if you dare.' 
Jimmy Ben was no coward. Dropping his club, he came eagerly forward, but no sooner had he got well ready than Craven struck him fair in the face, and before he could fall, caught him with a straight swift blow on the chin, and lifting him clear off his skates, landed him back on his head and shoulders on the ice, where he lay with his toes quivering. "'Serve him right,' said Heck Ross. There was no more of it. The twentieth crowds went wild with joy and rage, for their great game was won, and the news of what had befallen their captain had got round. "'He took his city, though, Mrs. Murray,' said the master, after the great supper in the manse that evening, as Hughie lay upon the sofa, pale, suffering, but happy. And not only one, but a whole continent of them, and, he added, the game as well. With sudden tears and a little break in her voice, the mother said, looking at her boy, "'It was worth while taking the city, but I fear the game cost too much.' "'Oh, Shaw, mother,' said Hughie, "'it's only one bone, and I tell you, that final round was worth a leg.'" End of chapter 14